On Tuesday mornings, our entire staff meets for about an hour, and we're all together, and it's a great time. We read scripture, we pray, um, we talk about yay God stories, we talk about where God was at work, and we all share different stories about how we saw the Father at work. We put your names on the dry erase board. Um, if you're brand new, we try to remember your names. We work hard on names. It's getting more and more difficult, but uh, almost every Tuesday, brand new people, the dry erase board from children or students or young adults or older adults, the, the boards are full. And everybody tries to remember different names. But we also do something kind of practical. And so I'm always trying to help us, you know, become better at, at our skills. But I, I asked the staff this past week, because I knew what I was preaching on today, and I asked the staff, I said, how many of you were like raised in a home where you feel like you got good money principles? You feel like you understood from your parents' bills and budgets, and you understood a little bit about saving, a little bit about investing. I said, how many of you from your home life feel like you got a really good education? There are probably 30 people or so in the room, and about half of them raised their hand. So I said, does that mean that the other half of you really feel like you didn't get? I said, because this is a really a biblical topic. I mean, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Every, every one of the, like a third of the, all the parables, like every third Sunday, if Jesus were your preacher, he'd be talking about money and stuff. Okay? So I asked, I said, how many of you feel like you really didn't get any education, blah, blah, blah? And again, the, the other half raised their hand. So I want to ask you this question, okay? How many of you in the room would say, I really didn't get a great understanding of money, bills, budgets, all that kind of stuff, saving, investing? How many of you say, I really didn't get a good grip of that from, from my home life? How many would you say, look at all those hands, keep them up high. That's over half of you in this room, okay? How many of you would say, my parents really did a great job with that? They did a super job with that. That's encouraging. That's super encouraging, okay? Um, it, it's something that you can't ignore. We all like to eat, right? Is anybody in the room not like to eat? Okay? We all like to eat, and, and it's something that's a part of our life and a part of our culture. So, so you, can't, you can't ignore this. But it seems like churches kind of go to one or two extremes also, Maybe in your home they talked about it all the time and too much. Occasionally that happens, or maybe they didn't talk about it at all. Church, churches kind of do the same thing. Churches can talk about money all the time. Churches can kind of like, like ignore it. I haven't talked about this in two years. So if you're a first-time guest today, this is not about giving. Relax. We've already done the offering. Breathe deeply. Okay? Ah, stop and smell the roses, okay? We're, we're okay. But this is really about, the Bible talks more about money than it does heaven and hell combined. And as believers, I believe the scriptures are clear that we need to get good at this. We need to understand this. So years ago when I was in seminary, graduate school, I had one practical ministries class. It was very practical. And the old professor, he's probably my age, but the old professor stood up and said, you preacher boys won't make a lot of money. I thought, well, that's very encouraging. He said, you preacher boys won't make a lot of money, but you need to have money in your head, but not money in your heart. And I really like that. That resonated with me. So I want us to be able to have money in our head, but not in our heart, which, which would be greedy. John Wesley. How many of you heard of John Wesley? How many of you not heard of John Wesley? 
Go back and Google John Wesley, old guy, four or five hundred years ago, great preacher, itinerant preacher. I don't know how he did it. He rode a horse from church to church to church. He would preach like ten times in one day. I, I'm exhausted after three services. I can't imagine ten times. And he rides a horse to these different churches. John Wesley had a strategy and approach to money that I think is pretty good. And John Wesley would say, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, you think, think about that. That's pretty good tensions, isn't it? Say that with me. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That was John Wesley's philosophy and John Wesley's, Wesley's approach. Now, how does that apply to what we're going to talk about today? Well, it applies greatly. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus unveils treasure. And he talks about treasure in several different places, in several different contexts. So I've got just one verse we're going to camp out on. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this. Matthew 13, 44 says that Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now why would treasure be hidden in a field? Well, they didn't have banks like we do today. So what you would do when an enemy was coming is you would take your stuff, your, your silver, your coins or whatever, and you would go in the, in the field and you'd dig a giant hole, just a big old hole, and you would pour all your stuff into this hole and you would cover it back up. And then hopefully if the enemy didn't take your land, you would go back to your field and unearth this treasure and you would find it. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. So you got this traveler, this old Hebrew Palestinian traveler's coming through, you know, and he's taking a shortcut and he's going through a field. And so he's got his staff and it's going, you know, it's hitting the ground, hitting the ground, hitting the ground. And all of a sudden there's a thunk. He goes, well, what's that? So he gets down on his hands and his knees and he starts spreading the weeds and the dirt away and he finds this treasure chest. And Jesus is saying... That the kingdom of God is like this guy who finds a treasure chest hidden in a field. But it's not his. He can't just steal it because he doesn't own it. But what he can do is he can buy the field. And if he buys the field, he then can have the treasure. But in order to buy the field, he's got to leverage everything. He has to leverage his horse, his oxen, his, his farm, his land. He has to leverage everything to be able to purchase the field which has the coins. And so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought that field. Now, a lot of Bible teachers believe that this is talking about, number one, there's two lessons from this. Number one, salvation. But number two, a strategy for leveraging your resources. So we're going to talk about both of those. All right? So when John the Baptist comes on the scene, by the way, it had been 400 years since they'd heard from God. And here comes John the Baptist, just wide open, Mach 1, hammer down. I mean, if he had a Harley, he'd be going 120 miles an hour on US 19, right? He'd be dead, but he'd be going 120 miles. I mean, John the Baptist was wide open. And John starts telling everybody, it's back on. It's been 400 years. 
but the kingdom of God is back on. The Messiah is coming. You all aren't living right. You aren't thinking right. You're not doing right. You're not acting right. You're not speaking right. And so John the Baptist is saying, it's time to get your life back right with God because the Messiah is coming. And so John called them, you brood of vipers, which John didn't have a Dale Carnegie class. He never understood how to win friends and influence people. But John, John didn't have the class. So John says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? The axe is already at the root of the tree. Do not say we have Abraham as our father. God can raise these stones up have to be Abraham. So anyway, John says, repent. And they said, okay. <laughs> they said, okay, we know we're living over here in the darkness. We know we're living outside of God's will. And, and they said, so what do we do? If, if we're going to repent, what, what does that mean? What, what do we do? It's a great question. And what John then does is he gives them three answers. Now, if you were asking, you know, me, what kind of activity you would have to have for spiritual growth, spiritual transformation, I'd probably tell you fasting, prayer, scriptures, and those are all good, and I'm a preacher, and they're all in the Bible. Those are all good. That's not what John says. John does something that kind of blows your mind at first. John talks about money. John talks about their checkbook. John talks about their stuff. John talks about their attitude toward possessions. And here's what John does. They're asking, what do we do in order to repent? How how do you see the signs of spiritual transformation? And what John the Baptist says is he talks about stuff. I like that word. Say it with me. So he talks about stuff. That was really good. And so... They're not asking about stuff. They're asking about spiritual transformation. But he talks about stuff, and he gives three answers. Here it is. Number one, he says everyone should be willing to share. You're going to repent? You're going to get your life and your act back with God? He said to the crowds, you should be willing to share. Then to the tax collectors. The tax collectors said, well, what about us? What about the tax collectors? Here's what he says to the tax collectors. He says, you shouldn't pocket extra money. Well, that's what a tax collector does. They, only, that's they, they cheated people. That's how they made their, their wealth. And, and, and John's going, no, 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 no. You, you shouldn't do that. You should. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Look at the next one. He says to this, to the soldiers. Now, these weren't like the Roman soldiers. These would be the soldiers around the temple guard. And so the Romans allowed the Jewish people to have a few military people. This would be like the Jewish soldiers. So the Jewish soldiers said, what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people. Be content with your pay. They're not asking about stuff. They're asking about spiritual activity, spiritual transformation. So what does this mean? What does this say? Well, in the next slide, our approach, this is through the entire 66 books of the Bible, our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. You, you can't separate these two. You can personalize this. Instead of saying our, let's say you. Your approach. And by the way, you have an approach. I don't know what it is, but, but you do. Your approach to money and possessions is central to your spiritual life. You cannot separate your spiritual life from your approach to money and stuff, okay? So let's talk about attitudes for just a minute because we all have an attitude toward money. 
And I want to mention three different people. And by the way, you can't take one of these three and form a whole doctrine or a whole system because you're meant to take these collectively. But let's take the first one. The first one is one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. How many of you like Zacchaeus, this greedy little man, this greedy little tax collector? I like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. I won't sing that for you. But anyway, it's, it's, a, great, it's a great little man. And, and Zacchaeus, he found the Lord, didn't he? The Lord transformed Zacchaeus' life. And look at the signs of repentance. How do we know that Zacchaeus got his life together? Look at what the scriptures say. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the, to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. God's not asking you to do that, but that's, that's what Zacchaeus wanted to do. And he said, and, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, well, of course you, you cheated everybody, Zacchaeus. That's how you got rich. It's like, well, if I did this, I will pay back four times the amount. I, I picture this. Zacchaeus makes his money by going from door to door to door, knocking on doors, and all of a sudden he's knocking on your door. And one of your kids or your wife says, oh my gosh, it's Zacchaeus. And you're going, no, don't answer the door. Keep it deadlocked. Keep it bolted. Do not answer the door. We've given to Zach. Zach cheats us. He just keeps knocking for an hour. And after an hour, you open the door. You say, Zach, I'm not giving. He said, and he's got these bags of gold. You're trying to give him the speech. I'm not giving you any more money. And Zacchaeus hands you. He's cheated you out of 1000 bucks last week, and he hands you $4,000 in gold coins. Talk about speechless, right? So we know, we know that Zacchaeus' life was changed. Look at the next verse. Look what he says. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Now, now, why did salvation come to Zacchaeus' house? Because he gave away a lot of money? No, it's not, about, it's not about how much you have. It's about who has you. That's the point. It's not about whether you have a little. It's not about whether you have a lot. The, the point is not what you have. It's who has you. That's the whole point. And now Zacchaeus had the Lord. Salvation had come to his house. Conversely, the next guy blew it, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler has the Messiah right in front of him. He's having a dialogue, and he decides to take the gloves off and play hardball with Jesus. You never win playing hardball with Jesus. Don't, I, I suggest you don't even try it. This is a sad story. Look what it says. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Look what he does. He walks away. He walks away. He walked away because of money. It's not how much you have. It's who has you. Then there's a rich farmer. The next story is about a farmer. Is there anything wrong with being a farmer? No. Is there anything wrong with being rich? No. If you look in the Bible, there were a lot of rich, godly people. Abraham was rich. Isaac was rich. Abraham had more flocks and fields than anybody. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were incredibly wealthy. King David, King David himself, in today's currency, gave more than $54 billion to help build the temple. So it's not a matter how much you have, it's who has you. But look at what this rich farmer is not rich toward. See if you can figure this out. You're smart people. There's two problems with this. See if you can figure this out. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones and there I'll store my supply grain, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. You're not supposed to take life easy. You're not supposed to ever take life easy for the king. You serve the king. 
This life's not about you. And by the way, retirement's not in the book. Nobody likes to hear that. Retirement's an American thing. It's not in the book. Abraham may not have worked 12 hours, but he still worked four. I'm not saying you've got to work for the same company. I'm just saying you can't take life easy and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's not in the book. I'm going to take life easy. I've worked hard. Really? You deserve to not work for the king the rest of your life? Are you kidding? That's a pet peeve of mine, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> but here's the real problem. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for, themse- for themselves, but is not rich toward God. That's the point. It's not a matter of how much you have, friends. It's a matter of who has you. And so in this story, you got this Hebrew traveler going through the field. And let me ask you a question. Do you feel sorry for the traveler because he leveraged everything that he had to gain everything that he wanted? You don't feel sorry for him, do you? Look at this next slide. It cost him everything he owned, but it gained him everything that mattered. And again, most people believe there's two main lessons to this story. Number one, it's about salvation. Salvation, your salvation for all of eternity, your sins being cleansed, your sins being forgiven for all of your life is worth this pursuit. It's worth the greatest pursuit. It is, it is the pursuit. Find out what it takes to gain eternal life. But the second part of this is after you're saved, how do you strategize your life? And we're just talking about one slice of that pie today. You, you strategize and you leverage your resources. How do you leverage your resources for the kingdom of God? Well, I want to give you five quick principles. And these are five principles that, that I think the scriptures are, are, are complete with. And there's a whole lot more, but I've only got time for about five of these. Okay? So then your bulletin, if you want to take notes, they're in there as well. Here we go. Number one, God owns everything. I'm his money manager. So I got all this stuff, and this stuff is lots of stuff, and I got stuff, and you got stuff, and we all got stuff, right? But who owns it? Really, who, whose is it? When you really stop and think about this, I, all the stuff that I have and all the stuff that you have, it, it, it's the Father's. Because when I die, it's going to be somebody else's. I don't own it, Right? My house is really not my house. When I check out, somebody else is going to own my house, right? And so the first principle is, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, Psalm 24, verse 1. And Haggai chapter 2, verse 8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. God, God owns everything. He owns it all. But he's allowed us to be stewards. And he's asked us to be stewards of the stuff that we have. Number two, principle number two. My heart always go where I put God's money. Let's say you've never owned a stock before. You've never bought, bought a stock. You've never had a stock. And you decide to purchase IBM or you decide to purchase Coca-Cola stock. Let's just use Coca-Cola. So let's say you decide to purchase Coca-Cola stock. You, now, what do you do? You follow that stock. You've never followed a stock in your life. But because you purchased Coca-Cola or IBM, you begin to what? You begin to follow that. Those of you that have given toward and are giving toward the wedding chapel, you're far more interested in the wedding chapel than the people who haven't given to the wedding chapel. You're far more interested 
because your heart follows your money. Those of you, and I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I don't know what anybody gives. I don't want to know because if two of you are sick at the same time and one person gives a lot of money and you don't give a lot of money and you're both in the hospital and I'm supposed to go pray for you to get healthy, you're going to die. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay? Just kidding. That was a joke. That was funny. So I don't want to know. I, I want to be able to pray for both of you. Okay? I really love you. I was a joke. All right? But those of you that give generously to this church, your heart and soul's in this church. Those of you that give generously to something, your heart follows what you do. And so my heart always goes where I put my money. Number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. And I think that's hard for us to keep in mind, but Hebrews reminds us all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. You and I as Christians are foreigners and strangers. This is not our home. We're to manage it. We're stewards of the stuff, but this isn't, this isn't it. This is, you know, the pregame warm-up to where we're going. They're foreigners and, and strangers. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. God has prepared a city for all of us who are believers, and, and, and it's our home. Look at the next one. Every paycheck is a test. Well, this is a good one here. Half of you are going to like this. The other half of you are not going to like this in the room, Okay. I can split the church right down the middle today with this. Every time you get a paycheck. Because here's what Malachi says. Malachi says, test me in this. He's talking about tithing. And by the way, the interesting part about the tithe, it's never about money. It's always about faith. So if you're a 15-year-old and you make $1,000 a year, you say, well, I don't make very much money. You don't. You'd better be tithing. Because you want God's hand of favor. Every time somebody comes to me and they come to me with financial difficulties, the first question, so don't, don't come to me if you don't want to ask this question. They, they come to me and I'll ask them, I'll say, are you tithing? Because here's what I know. When you don't tithe, you still may make a lot of money. You still may manage your money fairly deep. But if you don't tithe, you have just taken the hand of God off of your finances. Now, I want God's hand on my finances. Everybody wants. So every time we get paid, it is a test. And you get tested once a month. You get tested twice a month, the 15th and 30th. Or you get tested every week. Or you get tested with bonuses. But every time you get a check, every time you get paid, it is a test. Leviticus says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or the fruit or the trees belong to the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Your, your 10% is holy to the Lord. And God takes the 90%, let's say, plus him, and he expands your territory far beyond what you would ever dream or imagine. Those of you in this room that know that, we could not talk you out of tithing. So many of you in this room, you have told me my success, I'm not that smart, and I know you, and you're right. I'm not that gifted, and I know you, and you're right. But you've said this. you said, my success has come because of the hand of God has put his favor upon me. That's, that's absolutely true. And so I can't encourage you enough 
to trust God with this. We've already taken the offering. We're not talking about taking up an offering. I'm talking about your future and your destiny. I want the hand of God on your finances. Look at the next one. He provides for our enjoyment. Now, again, I think churches go to one or two extremes, and there's a balance here. I think God allows you to have stuff. I've waited on this because I wanted you to kind of hold you in the palm of my hand for this, okay? But I, think, I, think God, I think God wants you to have stuff. I think God is okay with you enjoying the things that he's given to you. And so if you have this or you have that or you have this or you have that, there's nothing. He provides, look what he says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So if you've got a, a sports car, if you've got a, a, a jet ski, if you've got another vacation home, or if you've got a whatever it is that you like, you know, you've got normal screen TV, but then you've got a giant screen TV because you want to watch the Indianapolis Colts whoop up on the Patriots this afternoon, you know, that is, that is absolutely fine with me. I think that's God's will for your life to have that kind of a TV. I think the Colts are going to get beat by about 50 points today. But, I, but anyway, I'm going to have some fun with it. But the, the, point, the point is this. It's not how much you have. It's who's, who who's do you belong to? Who has you? And so he gives you these things in life to be able to enjoy. Why wouldn't you enjoy them? Why wouldn't you? The problem is not enjoying the stuff. The problem is the greed. And John Wesley had it right, I think, friends. Earn all you can. Save all you can and and give all you can. I think my practical ministries professor had it right when he said, you preacher boys need to have money in your head, but not 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 in your heart. So I'm going to put those five back on the screen for you today. And I want you to pick one of those. Which one of those do you need a little help with? And I'm going to pray for you. Which one of those do you need... Some, some just some basic guidance and some principles from God to help you with. I'm going to ask you to pick one of those, and when you have the one that kind of pops out at you, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to stand, and when you stand, then I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. So what, 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 what do you need? Do you need to be reminded that God owns all the, the world? He owns everything. Maybe you've got a great big farm. I hope you do. I hope you've got a great big farm, but he owns it. Maybe you got a lot of cattle. That's great. But, but he owns the cattle. Everything, everything is his. Do you need to be reminded of that? You see, do you need to be reminded that you're a manager of your car and your house and your possessions? You're a manager of all those things. Maybe you never thought about my heart always goes where I put my money. Maybe you haven't thought a lot about heaven. Maybe for you, you're not tithing. But every paycheck is a test. Maybe for you, you feel guilty. You got something really cool, and you feel guilty about it. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. He gives you everything for your enjoyment. So enjoy the things that he's given to you. Enjoy the blessings that you have. But just just manage them and just share them with other people and for the kingdom of God. So when you have your one, you stand, and I'll, I'll pray for us. Maybe the prayer partners can come down at the same time. If you would, prayer partners, come on down.
salvation, and strategy. Those are the two primary pieces from this message. That's the place to start, friends. Jesus Christ went to a cross to die for your sins. And if you've never accepted him as your Savior, as the Messiah of your life, I encourage you to do so today. Asking you to confess Christ, to repent, and give your life to Jesus. I think after that, as believers, it's a strategy. How am I going to live my life? How am I going to leverage my resources? How am I going to manage all the things that God has put under you? Some of you in this room, you, you may not manage a whole lot yet. But if you're faithful to him, you will. He tells us if you're faithful in small things, he will put you in charge of large things. I think about that verse all the time. All the time. That verse kind of haunts me. I want to be faithful in the small things. So he puts me in charge of larger things. Some of you, you manage a lot. You manage a lot. You have a lot of responsibilities. You have a huge role to play in this world, in this life. You are really, it's necessary to make sure that you got your act together spiritually. This is so important that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl gets this right. So I, I want to pray for us. But if you want to come down today for special prayer, for salvation, or even praying for your strategy, our prayer partners are more than willing to do that today with you and for you. Oh, King of kings and Lord of lords, you own it all. You own the silver, you own the gold, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own the flocks and the fields. You own everything. But you allow us for a few short years to be stewards and to even trusted this to us. Let us as harborsiders do this well. May our family and friends do this incredibly well. Father, as, as Tom and Jonathan and Ron and Annabelle go to India this week, oh God, put your hand upon them. Allow Tom and Jonathan to communicate well with translators. Allow them to do a super job as we send them out. As John Mark and Hans and Pablo and Ethan and that band takes off with Project Primavera to go help youth villages and big brothers and big sisters and, and all the different opportunities with at-risk teenagers. Oh God, put your hand upon them. Because we're leveraging our time and our talent and our resources for the kingdom of God. We love you, Jesus. You own it all. Thanks for letting us manage. In your name, amen.